This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today. I'm Chris McCarty. And I'm Robbie Greenfield. And this is the Extra Time Podcast. Back in 2017, early 2017, when we unveiled our GOAT show, which is still one of my favourite shows that you and I ever did together, which was counting down the top 10 sportsmen. Before anyone jumps on a, a saying, why did you not include Serena Williams? It was just focusing in on sportsmen, top 10 sportsmen of all time. And now it has become the most annoying, the most overused, the most misappropriated word in all of sport. In fact, it's, it's kind of spilled out into becoming a word that you cannot get away from now. And it is annoying me in this second month of 2021. If you type GOAT into Google, Root hails England GOAT Anderson after reverse swing masterclass. Toronto star, have your say. Who is the GOAT of all active GOATs? Nick Kyrgios on the GOAT debate. Federer is the GOAT. Tom Brady's great, but is he really the GOAT? How many GOATs do you want? We could start a whole farm at this rate. We could populate the entire Ras Al hillside with goats. Oh, I love it. I absolutely it's, love it. It's too Rick Mahomes. I saw a Stephen A. Smith first take uh, video about we need to we need to put the Patrick Mahomes goat conversation to bed. It should never have been had in the first place. Patrick Mahomes has won one Super Bowl. He's young. He's at the start of his career. He may yet go on to achieve great things. What are you talking about? You can't compare him to the greatest quarterbacks of all no, time just no, yet. You certainly can't. He's no, got great potential. That's like Killian. That's like saying Killian Mbappe is the. Go- we need to put the. Let's park the goat chat with Killian Mbappe. Of course we should. Let, let's. I, I'm getting a bit sick and tired of this. Too many goats. The internet is obsessed with this. It's per- perpetrated by the likes of Talk Sport and various. And us. You know, and uh, we are guilty as well. No, we are. We have been. I, I would like to think we've we've dialed it down lately, though. But the, it's just can, annoying me. You can't get away from it now. Everyone's a goat. Well, there can be. There can be one goat for every sport. No, but everyone's a goat now. No, you can have And one. all these lists, by the way, they don't seem to acknowledge any sportsman that played before 1990. None of these lists have Maradona, Pele or Muhammad Ali or Don Bradman for that matter. Oh, they should. They all start with Michael Jordan. The recentism just annoys me. It's going what? We're talking goat of all time in all of sports or are we talking the art? <laughs> you want to have this? Do you want to have this conversation? Don't you? You're like, okay, is Brady really the goat? Brady is. I just God, think I it's, I, I've actually come to realise that it's completely spurious to compare sports. <laughs> You've come to realise that in your... Yeah, I, I've actually, I've, I think it's, you know what it is? You know, they always say sarcasm is the lowest form of wit. I think goat chats are the lowest form of sports conversation. <laughs> Come on. No, I do. Come on. They are. If you look at First Take, ESPN, all they ever do is argue about whether LeBron or Michael Jordan is the GOAT in basketball. That's, I mean, they've had that argument 500 times. And it's still getting viewed. I'm it's sure. just, it's boring now. I'm sure it's still getting viewed. You know Maybe what? They were, both, they were the, both the best players of their era. You know, you, you know, you can make arguments one way or the other. Yeah, you can, but that's not fun. It's pointless. It's not fun. You want to have a view on it. You want to, and that's emotion. Sport is about emotion. So, for those people that have watched Michael Jordan in their pomp, probably for their man. And for those that are seeing LeBron James do what he's doing, they're for their man. So, that's why, listen, it clearly sells. If you're telling me first take, I've gone back to it. Time oh, they and go time to it again. They, they managed to weave in a Jordan versus LeBron when talking about Brady and Mahomes. 
I mean, the Brady and Mahomes chat is a load of old nonsense. I mean, as good as Patrick Mahomes is, and he is slowly but surely revolutionising the quarterback position, as good as he is, he's he's not in the same league of of Tom Brady. I just think it. I just think it's sensationalist nonsense. Of course it is, is. but Brady is. I think Brady is. No, no, for sure. The goat. For sure. The greatest of all time. The amount of people that ask me. I heard you talking last night on the show. You're talking about goats. What's the goat? Greatest of all time in their chosen sports. And then, of course, you get you get it widened out into who is the greatest of all time in all sports. But I think that the debate over your chosen sport, I think it's a fair one. I think that's one that you may say it's cheap and it's, it's a bit nasty. It's a bit greasy, 2 a.m. on a Friday night. But it's a conversation that I think will still be continued to have in pubs and bars and restaurants. I just, no, I, I just think I, I've just had overload of it. I can't go on Twitter now without seeing goat pop up on the first night. That's the first thing that pops up on my feed now. Used to be Donald Trump, now it's goat. <laughs> you just need to start unfollowing the people. Yeah, I know. That are I just know, wanting to talk all things goats. And someone's just messaged in bah, which I did love. That's very good indeed. But uh, yeah, the goat debates and chat. Well, it is crystallised because Tom Brady. Coming up, we debate who is exactly the greatest of all time when it comes to American football. American sport? Who would get your vote still? Oh, God. <laughs> I can't answer that question after going on that little. You want tirade. to, though, don't you? You absolutely want to. Uh, you are the goat of angry middle aged men on the show. Uh, still love you, though, says Nicholas. That's it. These little, these little things that bug you. And then I guarantee it, three months down the line, you'll see a really good article about the goats that you're like, oh, we need to bring that on air again. I'm over it. I forgive. All is forgiven. Let's bring it back. There's no doubt, though. Hey, listen, Tom Brady, he is the greatest of all time when it comes to NFL. That wasn't in doubt. And he's just crystallised it once more with that Super Bowl success. Whether he stands up in the pantheon of greats in all of US sport, Robert, well, because you've poo-pooed it, that's well, I think, we I think not be Well, I think what's interesting about him is he's a real study in... He's a little bit like Floyd Mayweather. He solved the puzzle. He solved, yeah. he solved the riddle. I mean, I'm not comparing him yeah, as a personality the, to, to Floyd great... Mayweather, but I'm just saying that he, he may not have the best right arm that we've ever seen. He may not have the best passing range or I don't know. I'm not, not an expert. I'm, I'm not an expert on the NFL. Yeah, exactly. He can't. He can't run with the ball like Patrick Mahomes. But he has perfected the art of winning. Mm. And if and if let's be honest, sport just all all of it does with all the aesthetics stripped back. If it boils down to winning, and winning only, then yes, he has. Yeah. He's been the most successful at solving that conundrum. And there was a lovely line in an article. I think it was the New York Times or the Washington Post that I read last night. And I should really know this. And I apologise for not name checking the journalist who came up with this beautiful turn of phrase. But in US sport, if Michael Jordan revolutionised the NBA, which I think we all agree he did, what Tom Brady has done in the world of American football is perfect it. Yeah. Hasn't revolutionized it. And I don't it, think you can it. you you can't really call you can't really endow him with US goat status. For me that will always be Muhammad Ali because he meant more to more people and he transcended sport like no other individual mm. has ever done before or since. He had a huge impact politically, socially, socially culturally. Yeah. yeah. That Tom Brady of course with all his I mean he could win 74 rings and he wouldn't have that. Still, though, for this purist. Yeah, for the for purist, for, for, a, for a sheer practitioner of his sport, for an expert, for oh. an absolute master of his craft. This is Extra Time.
a season that's it's been far from vintage for various reasons. No fans in the stadium. I think yeah. a big. And I, actually, I think that. that's really starting to set in now. I think you know someone made the point as well that it would have really changed the complexion of the recent game between Liverpool and Manchester City. Uh, because when Liverpool scored, you know, and they equalised, suddenly that crowd had they been in that stadium would have certainly energised and galvanised. Yeah. Look, I mean, I'm not saying that the result would have been different, but it just it makes you it makes you realise actually that all these matches are adversely affected by the absence of fans, and mm. and almost what we are seeing is is not quite real. It's not quite. It, it's there's there's a there's a there's there's a, there's a lack of authenticity about it, and I have to say, I mean, it's yeah, it, it's obviously something that we've all gotten used to, and I kind of forget sometimes now that there aren't any fans in the stadiums because it, that a lot of trouble has been made and gone to to to, to make yeah. us you know just all buy feel. into this. Yeah. All like you know, you can hear the crowd and you just feel like you're watching the footy on TV. But but yeah, it's a very strange season. Obviously, of- so many things have gone into it. And um, a lot of big names, and I think a lot of big names are struggling as well. A lot of players, high-profile players, if they were to be sat here, are struggling with that. Mm. And, and you've got it. You've put it together a little list of players, and the biggest flop. It's it's a bit of a harsh title, but let's start with Liverpool. One player. Okay. I think, I well, know. there's there's a key, there's a couple actually. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, because of how good he was last season, has been noticeably. I agree. Off the pace. Yeah. He's made mistakes. I think. Even last season, he was lauded more for his attacking ability than his there defensive a, qualities. There's a frailty defensively there, as good as he is, and I, and I am a huge Trent Alexander-Arnold fan. I mean, going forward, if only Juan Bissaka. But last year, we were lauding him as the best right-back on the planet. We certainly wouldn't be saying that this season. I'd still, I'd still lean towards having him then, vast majority, just because I think in a good team, you want an attacking fullback. I think that's more important than a defensive one. So you think that this is a, a blip in form, and not, not class? Yeah, I think he's. I think he is world class technically. The age he's at, though, he needs to obviously be careful. And yeah. Jurgen's job is, yeah, got to make sure his feet are on the ground. Get, get back into correct. Get back into the swing of things quickly. But the name that did occur to me was actually Firmino. Yeah, and I think Diego Jota. You, you know, you look at Diego Jota and what he's done since coming in. Jota, Jota, Jota. I think it is uh, since he's coming in. Uh, since he's come in, should I say that? I think has. That's put a question mark alongside Roberto because Liverpool fans will always say, and they, they were very at pains to point this out last season, that uh, Firmino is more than the sum of his stats. Correct. Yes, he he provides much more than than assists and goals. He links up the front three, three, but the front three, particularly in that recent match against Man City, I mean, they look a pale shadow of of their of their former selves of last season when they were just at times. yeah, and and the season before that, Firmino. He's got six goals and four assists in 23 appearances this term. By no means the most culpable on this list. But when you look at the drop-off, there's no doubt that Liverpool, having lost Van Dijk, that's a huge, huge loss. And, and they're, they're starting to count the and cost of that. It's the cascading effect, though, Rob. It's yeah. you lose Van Dijk and they're now being forced to play Fabinho, who, and I've said it before, I think he's the best in his position, just in front of a back four in world football. I really do. You've lost Jordan Henderson's real drive in the middle of the park because they're now playing centre-half. Thiago Alcantara has changed the dynamics somewhat, and I'm a huge Thiago fan. There's no doubt that Liverpool midfield looks a little a little different out of possession. Wijnaldum in there, and, and Milner's been asked to, to fill in. It's just a different Liverpool. And I think that front three 
have been victims of that. And I think once they're back up to a full complement, you know, listen, they'll all come back. Um, no doubt about that. Salah, and he's still, what, 16 goals in 22 games this season? Yeah, I mean, Salah, exactly. He's still, uh, is he the league's top scorer? If he's not, he's one of them. I think Keane. Um, 16 goals in 22 appearances. That's exactly what he's got. So, yeah, he's still he's still banging them in. Uh, the, the one that really stands out in the Premier League has got to be Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. It's got to be. In yeah. In the last two seasons prior to this one, he had 44 goals and eight assists in 72 appearances Right in the Premier League. This season, he has five goals and one assist in 19 appearances. Yeah, it's not good. Something hap- has happened there. The man is shorn of confidence. He's had his injury problems as well. 250 grand a week, 300 grand a week contract that he signed in the summer. And, you know, Arsenal, say what you want, Rob. They get it badly wrong. They get it badly wrong all too often. They got it wrong when Do you really think that's off. just someone cashing in and then just mailing it in? I, I, I think he, I mean, you talk I, about, I think he'd have more professional pride than you that. You talk about Novak, though. You talked about it earlier, about players. There'll come a time where Novak will fall off a cliff and he'll no longer dominate the Australian Open. Rafa Nadal, Roland Garros. It happens to players. What is Pierre now, 31? I believe so, yeah. I mean, yeah, this season, oh, yeah, he would frighten you. There was a spell. He was the best well, he was, in the league. And he, it seemed to reach its peak very recently in the FA Cup final when he scored twice. And he was unplayable. He really, he really was. At, at that point, he was. was. He really was the most prolific striker in the Premier League, yeah. and now he's got five and nineteen. Yeah, that's that's a conundrum that Mikel needs to to fix. Uh, other Premier League players, just want to touch on before we move elsewhere. Uh, Kepper is someone that. Um, I mean, he's I don't just, think enough's made of that. Honestly, Kepper has been a disaster, and he. Uh, you could you could argue that was he ever really that good in the first place? I mean, seventy-two. Uh, just a horrendous quid. waste of money. 72 million quid and he's on the bench. Yeah, How that is not made more extraordinary. This, this one kind of blew me away because this one has been a bit more of a slow burn. But the stats here... This one's going to annoy me. I think I know where you're going. Go on, where am I going? Daily Alley. Yes. It annoys me. Okay. Now, this is what I'd forgotten. In 2016-17, Delhi Alley scored 18 goals and seven assists in 37 you know Premier League was? appearances. You know what he was? He was, and I'll take you back to the 08-09 season for Liverpool. Fernando Torres and Steven Gerrard. Mm. Gerrard turned into a 10 that season. How good was he then? Deli Ali that year you've just read out. That's as closest to us as well, Steven was, Gerrard. Well, he, he was the Hyungman son of that season. He was just off Kane and he was just ghosting in. That late arrival into the box. He yeah. was a heck of a player. Well, he followed that up the following season, 17-18, with nine goals and ten assists. Solid. Not to be sniffed at. Absolutely From that solid. position. And then since then, he has just steadily dropped off. This season, he's made four appearances, no goals or assists to show for it. Last year, he scored eight goals and made four assists. He's just not a Jose player. It's a low block. It's just... It, yeah, but is he, annoys me. So, so this, is a, this is a plight of a manager and not necessarily yeah. an individual. Because yeah. he'd gone off the ball before Jose arrived. Yeah, well, Mauricio, a lot of I mean, people said that on. Jose would revive him. Who didn't? And, and at the start of that season under Mauricio Pochettino, that hangover from the Champions League defeat to Liverpool. Who didn't drop off a cliff? And Jose's come in. And, and listen, we've all watched the documentary on Amazon Prime. Jose tries to get in his head, but he wants, he wants something that I don't think Delhi's capable of. You know, I think Delhi was perfect for a, a poch. You know, Guardiola, the, the horse is bolted there. But if I'm Delhi Alley, no, no big club would touch Delhi Alley now, I don't think. Pepe is another one that's uh, been mentioned by, I think it's Fad Arsenal. I mean, he was huge money as well. I do feel that he's just been coming on to a bit of a game, though. 
last in the last few weeks, and Mikel Arteta might just be starting to work his magic on him. You think? Yeah. Uh, again, he's not worth the money, in my opinion. Oh, 70 plus. You wouldn't pay that kind of money for Oof. for a streaky player. No. And Arsenal, I just you know every time they make a step forward, they seem to take two steps back. But um, Kai Havertz, hard. Yeah, just, just one of those players that just has not has not you know hit the ground running in in a team where. You know, now under Thomas Tuchel, it'll be interesting to see. You know, this is this is a bit of a reprieve for him because it's it's almost like a fresh start. Yeah. He's had it didn't work out under Lampard with a German manager. Might it work out? Um, I'm not so sure. Donny van der Beek's the other one. I felt so sorry for him last night. I mean, it's gone viral today. His face when his number pops up after 73 minutes, I think it was in that one 0 win after extra time win over West Ham. His. Yeah, that's that's not going well. It honestly reminds me of Diego Forlan days. It feels like he's, ne- never... he's never really been given a chance, though. But when he does play, he's on the periphery. He's running around. He's doing a lot of running around. And there's not enough quality when he's in possession. I do fear that that Man United team, the way that it's structured, is just not in keeping with his qualities. Bit like a deli in that regard. Well, he was great it at begs Ajax. the question: you know, who's answering to? I don't think why it's an they bought him. I don't think it's an. You think it's a Matt Judge signing? I think absolutely that, and I think it's with one eye on Paul Pogba going this summer, or at least it was. Maybe that situation has changed, but for whatever reason, Donny Van de Beek is. It's reminiscent of Diego Forlan, where you just have so much sympathy. Everything he's kind of trying is not coming off. And then, as we saw with Diego Forlan, he headed off via Real, Atletico Madrid, and won European Golden Shoes and uh, European, uh, yeah, European Top Scorer awards, and, and went on to win the Golden Ball at the 2010 World Cup. So, it may well be that I think. Listen, United, I don't think we'll we'll, we'll sell Donny this coming summer, but yeah, I do wonder if his time at United might just, even now, just might be one of those kind of disappointing signings. Yeah. It's, it's possible. You think there's a way back for Havertz at Chelsea? Yes, for the exact reasons that you've pointed out. Thomas Tuchel has been appointed with Havertz and Werner in mind. That is the best part of £120 million invested by that football club on what we are told and what we believe. And certainly the evidence of them over in Germany would have you believe. They're, they're two of the best kind of young footballers in, in world football. So You've got to say that his whether it's Lampard's inability to make that work or whether... I think so. You know, whether it was their own, whether it was their own culpability for just simply not being good enough. Bit of enough, both. Well, um, takes that's time cost to Lampard his job ultimately. A little, yeah. You know, you take a punt. I, on I footballers. think if uh, if Chelsea had been in a slightly better position, but those two had been showing a lot of promise, might have been a different situation. Yeah, you know my feelings on this. I just, I, I just same with Anthony Martial. Uh, Martial, in a lot of ways, I just don't think Werner in the Premier League is a wide forward. Uh, you, you, I would want him central and I'd want to change the style. I don't think you need someone occupying the centre-halves all the Problem time. Problem is, is he good enough to base a team around? To build a You've team You've got to be around. smart around how you do it. You don't have to build a team around Timo Werner. You've just got to work on the training ground to come up with a style that, that suits the players that you have. And Werner left to then continue to play Tammy Abraham. Not for me. And I think Thomas Tuchel will work on it where Havertz, Mason Mount, Timo Werner... That's the three that I would put my money on. Well, let's let's finish with perhaps the, the number one choice for flop of the season. And it's not just this season. Listen to this. Eden Hazard, yeah. in his final year with Chelsea, he scored 16 goals and he registered 15 assists in 37 games. Great stats, great he stats. contributed almost a goal or an assist a game. Yeah. What about this for a fall of grace? Last season, a fall from grace even, last season he scored one goal in 16 appearances. 
He made six assists. This campaign, two goals in eight appearances, no assists. For what did they outlay it? The biggest, Real Madrid's biggest ever signing? 130 million? Something like that, yeah. Staggering. I mean, I've said it before, the fact that he turned up to Real Madrid overweight, that says a lot about a man. When Real Madrid, arguably the biggest club in world football, make their biggest outlay, you turn up on day one ready to rock and roll. And he hasn't. And again, that is, it's quite staggering. And I know Real Madrid fans, and there'll be those Chelsea fans that still have sympathy over with Eden Hazard. But the fact that he, and he's had his injury problems, but come on. You've got to turn up day one ready to work. What, what's their plan with him going forward? Are they going to stick with him? Do you think? I mean, who? Right now, how, how much do you get for Eden Hazard on the open market with his injury problems and where he's at? Because right now, 40, he's, akin, 50 mil. he's akin to Gareth Bale. I mean, Gareth Bale is a busted flush. I don't think a big club, again, would touch him because I think that the risk is far, far too great. I don't think the clubs have got the money to, I mean, to buy him at the moment. Real Madrid bought him when he was 28. He ain't 23, 24. They've invested that huge sum of money. Far from a like for like either. He's no Ronaldo. His stats, he never was a 20 plus. It, it felt a little bit like a signing that should have happened a couple of years ago for them. Yeah. And it was, it was a response. It was a knee-jerk reaction to Ronaldo leaving. Completely agree. Extra. Time. A bit of breaking news in the world of F1 for you. This idea of sprint races, just to jazz up qualifying in F1. There was a meeting earlier today and the idea to trial three Saturday sprint races this season, it was discussed for the first time. And I can tell you it's been reported in the UK that the idea is believed to have gained a positive early response. Further talks are expected. Not happy with qualifying. They don't feel that it's exciting enough. This idea that qualifying would move to a Friday and in its place on Saturday would be basically a sprint race, about a third of the length of your usual Grand Prix on a Sunday, and that would then determine the places. Caught up with them a few hours ago. Damien Reid, commentator for NBC Action, F1 commentator, F1 journalist, and I wanted to get his thoughts on this particular subject. We'll talk Lewis Hamilton later on. For now, though, Damo's thoughts on this idea that's been mooted of sprint races replacing qualifying as we know it. Yeah, they, they try to spice it up a little bit. And, uh, you know, um, they, 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 they came up with a couple of ideas such as reverse grid or reverse the front half of the grid, that sort of thing, which kind of takes away the merit of being the best and the fastest. So, you know, drivers who are... It's a, it's a, a success penalty, if you want. So this is another one which actually tries to bring a bit of spice... Into earlier into the weekend, and I, I'm, I think it should be at least worth a try anyway. They're going to try it probably at about three rounds, we're hoping, this season. And uh, and that's basically what it's going to do. It's going to turn Friday, which is a fairly dull day, into a more exciting day because we're going to have practice in the morning, as per normal. The second practice in the afternoon is now going to be a qualifying session for a, a what will be a sprint race where they normally hold qualifying. And the results of that will go into it, will set the grid for the feature race, which is the Grand Prix as we know it on Sunday. So I actually don't mind this one because it still rewards the best, the fastest, the quickest, but it just takes a little bit of that tedious stuff out on a Friday and puts a bit of action right across the weekend. You don't subscribe to the view, demo that it dilutes what we see on a Sunday. I think the expectation is that it will be around 100 kilometres, so about a third of what we see race-wise on the Sunday. Is that not just a little bit too much racing? Too much of a good thing? 
Yeah, but you know, I, I guess so. But we're we're looking at some circuits where they don't have any support races. So if you want to get crowds back, you want to get activity going, there's not a lot going on there beforehand. And if we go back just a couple of years ago, we used to have uh, pre-qualifying, and it used to start on a Thursday, and you had Thursday and Friday. Saturday, then you had a, a warm-up, a 90-minute warm-up session on a Sunday before the race itself. And uh, and you know, everyone seemed all right with that. So I, I don't know. I think it's, it, it's at least worth mixing it up a little bit, um, giving it a shot. You know, this is one of the great things, I guess, one of the few great things that have come out of a COVID year is that F1, like a lot of sports, experimented and tried a few different things. And a few of them actually worked. And uh, and I think that's a it's a, it's a perfect opportunity to say okay well let's experiment a bit bit more we're kind of in this in-between part at the moment because we're going to completely new rules and regs for next year so let's do it now while we're in the final year of the current regulations as they stand and we're still sort of getting over this uh you know the 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 the, the upset season of last year and give it a shot while we've got a chance for this one season Interesting that demo. I mean, we, we talk about magic bullets. I'm still yet to be convinced that this is the magic bullet when it comes to qualifying. Have you had any more thoughts on this? Obviously, you're in and around the F1 teams. You commentate on a weekly basis as well. Have you had any more thoughts as to what you think is the correct solution to solve the, the problem that is, I guess, excitement from qualifying on the Saturday? Yeah, I mean, personally, I found that the, the most exciting qualifying was when we had uh, qualifying back in the early 90s. And uh, it was it was basically you had two sessions of qualifying and then you have, it was it was guided pretty much by the performance of the tyres. You had qualifying tyres. And I know it was expensive, which is why they stopped it, but it was, it was exciting to see. If you saw a car come out of pit lane with the stickers on the tyres, what they used to call sticker tyres, because you literally see the labels on it, and you knew that that driver had three laps in them. They had a warm-up lap, a go lap, and a cool-down lap, and the tyres were shot. And, you know, this is back in the sort of you know, the era of Senna and Berger and, and Prost and all these guys. And, if you know, I remember watching it would get down to the last 40 seconds of qualifying almost, and you'd see Ed and Senna come out with a stick of tyres on, and you knew that he would time it to the second across the start-finish line to put in a, a, a belter of a lap. And, and it would jump up there. And you just know that if you see a car with those on, other drivers would get out of the way or they'd do something because you've got one chance. And I think that was a more of an organic way to, to get a quick lap rather than a manufactured way that we've had before of one-lap flyers or, or whatever. But having said that, I think qualifying format at the moment is not too bad with the countdown to the top 10, the top 15, that sort of thing that eliminates the slowest drivers. I think that's been fairly successful in, in my own opinion. I enjoy calling it and it builds up a crescendo. It makes it, it makes it an exciting final 10 minutes of the session. Yeah, I remember the good old days of those as well and in fact, if anyone works for Pirelli you might want to cover your ears now. The days of Bridgestone and Goodyear, Bridgestone and Michelin. Is that what you're saying? Do we need to get back to a point where there are tyre manufacturers going up against one another? Is that something that is missing? I mean, I think that would be great. Yeah, the competition breeds, you know, breeds excitement and it breeds success. And, and to have, you know, we had the, the likes, we had Goodyear uh, playing off against Michelin, against Pirelli. Um, you know, all these guys were competing, but it became very expensive. And then off the back of that, they then had uh, teams that they had as development teams for them. So uh, there were particular cars that worked, the, the tyre was developed for that car. So that kind of, 
meant that on certain tracks you kind of knew which way the the race was going to go based on that team as being is the official development team for that tyre. So that's why they've sort of gone down the path of everyone using the same tyre. But I think you know, it's all cyclical. Everything in sport is cyclical. And we're, we've reached that stage where maybe we should start rethinking the idea of putting it out to tender and letting letting it be an, an open market for tyre manufacturers. I would love to see tyre manufacturers competing in the same way that engine manufacturers do and and, uh, and oil companies do for, for, for the best slot in Formula One. Yeah, here, here on that front, Damo, I like that. I think that might be the route that I would like to see taken. I'm not necessarily convinced, I'll say it again, with this new sprint races idea that has been formulated and put forth. Got to get your thoughts before you go as well, Damo. Big news in the world of F1, not just the changes to qualifying, but also news that Lewis Hamilton has finally put pen to paper. A new one-year deal at Mercedes. Total Wolf has gone on to say as well that, listen, he's got a lot left in him. This may be his final year. What are you garnering from this? Is this Lewis convinced that Mercedes does give him the best possible chance of clinching an eighth and then he'll freewheel it a bit for the remainder of his career and maybe just maybe I guess fulfil that dream of his of racing for the Scuderia? Yeah, I, I think there's there's so much to be read into this. I, I think what it is is probably going to put the kibosh on him racing for the Scuderia or racing for any other teams. I think what's happened now is that this is cementing Lewis Hamilton with Mercedes-Benz beyond Formula One. And, uh-huh. and, and I think it's quite convenient that it's a one-year contract because Valtteri Bottas is also on a one-year contract. George Russell is on a one-year contract. They're all out of contract at the end of this season. I've got a feeling that when Ola Kalanais, the chairman of Daimler, came in to take over um, as the boss of Mercedes, he wasn't keen on motorsport. He wasn't keen on the money that's being invested in Formula One. He looks at the way the automotive industry is, is, is going and he's looking at you know the, the green side, the hybridisation side, the, the electrification side. At the end of the day, he's got to sell cars to the public. He's not there to run a race team. And that's the way the board is looking at it. Big, big question marks over Lewis Hamilton's pay. You know that they can they can do so much more. With, it's it's rumoured to be forty million pounds a year. That's two hundred and three million dirhams for this season alone. And so I think what they've done to placate Ola and the board is that they're carving out a niche for Lewis Hamilton to create a, 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 a an image within Mercedes Motorsport in general that embraces. Lewis's other ideals of diversity and motorsport and other areas because they've taken out, they're running in the the all-electric off-road championship. Lewis has a team in that, as does Nico Rosberg, um, and Formula E, and there's other things. I think what we're going to see is we're going to see Lewis Hamilton, he's going to be setting up this, this diversity commission within Mercedes Motorsport, and he may well become the Mercedes Motorsport boss in the, down the track with Toto. Um, but I think there's life beyond Formula One, but I don't think there's life beyond Mercedes with Lewis at this stage. The voice there of Damien Reed, of course, F1 commentator for NBC Action. Interesting thoughts there, Rob. So from what I deduce from that, this will be Lewis's last year, and then he may well head on to pastures new. I'm still not convinced by that. I still think there's a hankering there to, to drive for Ferrari. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense, but um, he's never given that, that inkling. He's never actually uttered those... Sentiments in public, oh, has he? He has. He said he dreamt. Not going, recently, going, though. Maybe not recently, but he certainly, he certainly said that you know he dreamt of driving for Ferrari, and it may just be that the chance 
comes and goes and, and if he does of course clinch the title this year which he will be the favourite to do so once more he's an eight time world champion and, and no one can hold a candle to him and of course he is level right now it would be a good seven. time to sign off it would be this is extra time You've got a quiz for us all, Rob. We'll kick things off because this week saw the anniversary of a milestone in football transfer history. Trevor Francis becoming the first British footballer to command a £1 million transfer fee when he moved from Birmingham City to Nottingham Forest back in what year, Chris? Oh, that would have been 70... Oh, good question. He scored the winner, didn't he, in the European Cup? So I would say that you're looking at 78. 79. Very close. And listen, I think you're going to do very well in this quiz. I think you've got a definite chance of getting five out of five. Now, the pass mark is three out of five. Right. Four out of five is impressive. And a five out of five will earn you a McCarty salute. You'll do very well. I'm sure you'll know all of these. Might need a help. No problem whatsoever. Okay, so that was Trevor Francis, one million pound player. You say British. That was... Did he not become the first million pound player? Or was it just in Britain? I think he might have been. But we'll we'll definitely look that up. But these are world World figures. Okay. Who became the first five million plus pound player in world football? Who broke the five million pound barrier? I do know this. This popped up in a quiz of mine a year or so ago. It is a man who left us not so long ago, Diego Armando Maradona. Now, the question for me is... Which team did he move from to? Was it Sevilla to Barca? It was Boca to Barca. Boca to Barca. Yeah, in 1982. Yeah. So, actually, only three years after Francis became the first million-pound player, that had been quintupled by Maradona. Boca to Barca. Interesting, 82. Why do I think Sevilla? Napoli spent £6.9 million on Diego's services when they signed him. Yeah. He scored 38 goals in two seasons at Barcelona, even though his time at Barcelona was not deemed to have been particularly successful. No. It was Napoli, though, where he hit his peak. He scored 84 goals from 199 appearances for Napoli before leaving the Italian shores in 1992. Mm. Uh, Now, okay, so you've got one out of one. You're doing very well. Why did I think Sevilla? What's the next question? Can you, can you figure it out? If you're going five, you're going to tell me, oh, you maybe, I don't know, 10, 15? Yes. Who became the first £10 million pound player? Oh, no. This. Oh. Right, <laughs> let me think of this. Right. Alan Shearer was 15. Let's work backwards. Then Lentini. You remember Lentini? Gianluca Lentini. Sadly, it was involved in a car crash. Torino to AC Milan. Before that, Gianluca Viali. He went Sampdoria to Juve. He might have been in there. The other one is Jean-Pierre Papin. Marseille to Milan. I think I'm right there. I think it's. I think Jean-Pierre Papin and Gianluca Vialli, if memory serves, they were the same summer. It's a 50-50. And then Lentini was 93 or 94. He was the, he was the world record. I'll go Papin. Marseille to Milan. You are correct. Yeah. Well done. 1992. Yes, 1992. Papin played for eight different clubs. He scored 228 goals in 438 appearances, 30 goals in 54 outings for France as well. So, heck of a player. So, he he must have been early summer and then Gianluca Vialli having won or taken Sampdoria to the European Cup. I don't have details on Vialli. Yeah, but he left Marseille for AC Milan for that world record feat, £10 million flat. And then he moved to Bayern Munich after a couple of seasons, but he didn't make much of an impact. He later returned to France. So his best years were certainly when he moved for that world record transfer free. Now, I've left out 15 million. We all know it's Alan Shearer. 
So you're not getting 15 million. Question number three, 25 million plus pound Ooh. player. This is the one that I thought might trip you up. Right. Let's go through this again. <laughs> Alan Shearer broke it. Euro 96. Yeah. It would have been after Euro 96, wouldn't it? And you then moved it was, to Newcastle then that it was summer. Danielson. Sao right. Paulo to Real Betis. I think that was summer of 98, 21 million. And then... Lewis, Here's a little clue for you. I, no, don't give me the clues. I, I know I know it. It's a stri- it's, it's, we're now into the realms. Louis Figo, 37.5 mil. There was Christian Vieri and there was Hernan Crespo. Vieri went Lazio to Inter. Crespo then replaced Vieri at Lazio. I'm going to go Christian Vieri. You've done an absolute... Yeah number on this and I think you're going to smash this five out of five Christian because that Vieri. was the one I thought could trip you up he, he was he was and I remember this because he was he's one of those ones he was at Juventus Atletico Madrid then Lazio was at Lazio to Inter summer of 99 is that right yeah um, he actually moved for 32 million yeah. did you say that yeah. is that the fee you quoted well, La- Lazio to Inter you've done your research uh, uh, this is I know amazing. my transfers yes well you're absolutely right he did exactly he moved from Inter Milan from to Inter Milan from Lazio and then, yeah, Hernan Crespo from Parma, 35.5 yeah. million. Fieri did score at Inter 119 goals from 183 appearances. Ridiculous. Pretty good. Played with Ronaldo. And on paper, that is a duo that should never work. Ronaldo and Vieri. If you think about it, oh, that's a partnership. It was like Duncan Ferguson with Alan Shearer. I always think that is the most bizarre partnership. Just doesn't work, mm. and Vieri and Ronaldo shouldn't really, but it did. I mean, that two was great players, though. incredible. 119 and 184. Yeah, 183. Pretty that, good. That is uh, right, last two. Then I'm sure you're going to cruise these ones. First, 50 million plus pound player. Mm. Uh, Zizou is just under. This is not an inc- in counting inflation. No, Z- no. This is this is this is pound value at the time. Kaka, correct. Summer of Ronaldo, 2009. Yeah, because actually you're right. He That's actually in, in Euros he transferred for less, but the Euro had caught up with the pound by that point. So in two thousand and nine his fee was sixty eight million euros. Zidane's fee back in two thousand and one was seventy five million euros, but it wasn't fifty million pounds, it was forty forty seven million yeah, pounds. Kaka I think was about fifty six million pounds and then Ronaldo, in the end. And then, then it, and Ronaldo was eighty that million. Summer. I remember we talked about this on a show many yeah. months ago. Yeah. That summer, Xabi Alonso joined Real that summer. Xabi Alonso, Kaká, Ronaldo, Benzema. Mm, Those four all yeah. joined in one summer. I mean, that's bonkers. A lot of people, a lot of people just saluting. What, a, what an uh, absolute tragic you are, Chris. Final I one. To. I mean, you're going to get this. This is the easy one. 100, the first player to break the 100. Oh, it's Neymar. Hold on. Yeah, Pogba was 90. 96, wasn't he? Gareth Bale was 86. Pogba was 90. Neymar. Am I wrong? No, you're right. Yes. <laughs> I was panicking a bit. Oh, right? dear. I mean, he broke it. The thing that might have tripped you up was that he didn't just break it. He almost doubled it. It was actually £198 million, pounds, and that's, the transfer. That's still the record, right? Barca to PSG, still the record. And, yeah, it nearly tripped me up because I was going to say Antoine Griezmann because Antoine Griezmann was the first £100 million transfer. But, of course, Neymar obliterated does that make sense? Antoine Griezmann was transferred for 100 million. Oh, yeah, but Neymar had already But that was in 2019. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah a couple of players, I think five players in total have been transferred for more than 100 million pounds. Joe Felix. Joe Felix. Philip Coutinho. Philip Coutinho. Uh, Eden Hazard. And Eden Hazard, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Griezmann. And then Mbappe and Neymar. Mbappe and Neymar, six. Yeah. People are just blown away by this knowledge. I, I need to get Mr. Out, Rain Man of Soccer. 
I need to carry one, more. To be honest, I do need to carry more. I'm well aware of this. My missus tells me this all the time as well. But yeah, transfers always have been a fascination. Thank you for listening to the Extra Time Podcast. With myself, Chris McCarty, and Robbie Greenfield. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate it, and please do give us a review. This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today.